Hey, 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 everybody. How are you all guys doing? Welcome to the Wimper Podcast, where we talk about all the goofy stuff related to space, astronomy, deep tech, AI, and a lot more to learn about which you won't find much in a conventional form of education. Sekri has been one of the most hardworking and one of the most admirable students of science I've ever met on the internet. He's currently pursuing his education from Alfington Grammar School, Australia. He is an astronomer, an astrophysicist, and a cosmologist. We connected a few months ago on LinkedIn, and finally we are up together with a show for you on quantum mechanics, space, time, dimensions, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned for this one, as this is your host, Divyansh Kunjan, on air. Go. Cool. Okay. Hi, Rudra. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How's the weather in Australia? You're in, where are you right now? Like, where are you uh, So currently, I'm in my home. I live in Melbourne, Australia, and the weather's been doing pretty terribly. Uh, there's been a lot of floods here, so oh. not that great. Oh. Okay, hope you all are doing right. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean here it's not too bad, but uh, in other places around Melbourne, it's not. It's not doing. It's not going too great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so we'll just be starting off with the questions. So can you tell our audience, like in the most uh, basic way possible, the difference between the general and the special theory of relativity? Uh, so these two theories, uh, the theory of special relativity and the theory of general relativity, both were uh, theorized by Einstein in the early 1900s, although there were a couple of other physicists that were also um, heavily on the trail of discovering special and general relativity. Um, the whole idea be- behind special relativity is to create a set of Uh, rules within the universe that apply to all inertial frames of reference. What is an inertial frame of reference? Essentially, an inertial frame of reference is a frame of reference in which an object, an observer, for example, yourself, are moving at a constant velocity or are completely still. So, for example, I'm sitting here right now. My velocity is zero. Therefore, I am in an inertial frame of reference. And there are certain rules which apply to all inertial frames of reference. Um, and there are also much more general rules that apply to all frames of references, including non-inertial reference frames. So the, the-, the main two principles behind Einstein's special theory of relativity is that the speed of light is constant for all frames of references and that, uh, and that um, because of this uh, speed of light being uh, universal um, in all <clears> – <throat> sorry about that. No because of the because of the speed of light being inertial, uh, being the same in all um, frames of references, this affects the distance and the time measured between uh, individual observers, even individual inertial frames of re- observers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, uh, one of the things that I thought about was that people, uh, I mean, generally we speak the uh, light's speed is absolute, like it's uh, it's 300,000 kilometers a second, which uh, I, I've seen that people contrarize on a lot, uh, a lot of times. So what they say that uh, light's speed is not absolute, like it's not just in terms of things that's passing through or their different densities, but it's also like it's just not absolute in space or in vacuum too at times because we haven't actually, I mean, some of them say that we haven't actually calculated the absolute speed of light because we can't do it. So what's your yeah. point on that? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I totally agree. Um, when it comes to the speed of light and actually measuring it, there's actually a really good um, documentary by a content creator on YouTube. He goes by the name of Veritasium. Um, he explains the whole idea around measuring the speed of light. And the whole um, the whole message behind that video was that 
the speed of light can only be measured when you are sending uh, sending a light ray out to some object and then reflecting it back and then measuring the time it takes um, for that light ray to then be detected using sensitive instruments. And you can then determine the speed of light from that. Uh, so because of because of the fact that you need to measure what we call what he calls the two-way speed of light, um, there is no actual experiment you can do to measure the one-way speed of light. So in fact, there there might be a case where the speed of light is uh, the speed of light is instantaneous. Um, for example, from um, myself to the window. And then the speed of light might be uh, completely different from the window back to me. So the the two-way speed of light is kind of like an average speed of light. Um, and the reason why we choose to use that number is because of a principle called Occam's razor, which basically means that the simplest explanation is the preferred explanation Right. Uh, in science. Okay, I get that. Cool. Uh, moving on. Uh... Why can I not tell the time and position of an object simultaneously? Is it just because that I can't look into my watch and look at the moving object at the same time? Or is it, or is it something else that uh, I don't know about too? Uh, so, the thing, so the thing with Einstein's theory of special relativity is it states that the, there is no such thing as what we call absolute time. There is no such thing as um, a time that is correct. And because of that, uh, and because of that, time measured for different observers is always going to be different um, compared to each other, even though the methods used are completely correct and um, everyone is using the same techniques, you're still going to get a different answer um, depending on your inertial frame of reference. Um, the reason why you can't measure two simultaneous events at the same time uh, is, is actually described by Einstein's theory of special relativity. And the fact that um, in, an, in, a, in a frame of reference which you're in, you can't... Uh, uh, you can't measure two events that are separated by a distance. You must. Me you can only measure the time between events that happen at the same location. Um, the only uh, that that's the difference between what we call dilated time and what we call proper time. But note that proper time does not mean um, that that uh, that that time measurement is correct in any way. It just means that it's the time it's the time measured between events. Um, in the frame of reference of the observer that is moving um, and which you're trying to take uh, uh, time measurements for in simultaneous events. Right. So, like, my question would that be then, um, if I can't really measure something's speed and position at the same time, uh, can it be done in relative or in relation to some object? Like, if can the answer come out to be common for different people? If we are some we are measuring something in relation to something else yes in fact uh, in fact that's what special relativity sort of states it states that um, every measurement of distance and time is uh, is relative to some particular observer if i'm moving the same uh, at the same velocity as you and um, we're not accelerating we're both in an inertial frame of reference and if we were to take time measurements and distance measurements in our inertial frames of references um, we would actually get the same answer but if i was moving at a different velocity to you then i would measure ever so slightly different distance and time measurements. The effect between the differences in distance and time measurements are so small at regular speeds, like, you know, 60 kilometers per hour, that it's basically, um, we basically dismiss it and we use um, easier approximations like Newton's laws and Galilean relativity to explain, um, to be able to do calculations on the earth. Um, but if we were talking about objects moving near the speed of light, for example, objects orbiting black holes in insane orbits, um, then we would consider the relativistic um, effects as well. And uh, um, that's pretty much the difference um, between, you know, different observers. Cool. Good. So uh, I'll be like listening to all of this uh, a second time too, because I really don't grab stuff as soon as they get to me. You know, at times mm. it happens. At times, when things are yeah, then things are complex. So yeah, yeah. But uh, so my next question would be: so what I learned about 
when I got to know about Einstein's work in quantum mechanics is that he claimed that gravity was not a force, but a warp in space-time fabric that caused the smaller objects to move towards the way larger ones, the ones that yeah. had the ability to bring a warp in the space-time fabric. So my question is that why isn't it in use today? Like, why? what is it lacking? Uh, so we do actually use... Uh, so this... So this piece of work that Einstein created was a part of his general theory of relativity. The thing, the difference, uh, you you actually asked this question before, but I wasn't able to properly answer it. Um, the difference between special relativity and general relativity is that special relativity deals with special scenarios, whereas general relativity can answer um, questions about relativistic effects in all reference frames, regardless if they're accelerating or not, or if they're in a gravitational field or not. Um, in general relativity, as you said, uh, Einstein proposed that uh, objects uh, bend the fabric of space-time. So space-time is actually one thing. It's a four-dimensional um, math. Um, the reason why we don't use it um, as much um, as, say, Newton's laws of gravitation is because Newton's laws of gravitation are already a very good approximation um, for stuff like, you know, um, sending uh, sending air, uh, sending spacecraft to Mars or something like that. Um, the only places where Newton's laws break down and Einstein's uh, theory of general relativity actually is the better option to go with um, is is the behavior of objects around um, extreme masses such as black holes, um, Mercury's uh, precession in its orbit. So um, the fact that it actually changes its orbit slightly is not explained by Newton's laws. Um, you know. Uh, the idea of um, the, the space type, uh, the space-time fabric being bent, um, also meaning that light and other energetic particles are also bent within um, the fabric of space-time, leading to um, Einstein rings and other warped effects, um, which we actually do observe in telescopes. Uh, we do use general relativity. Um, it's just that uh, Newton's laws are such a good approximation um, that we tend to resort to Newton's laws um, whenever the approximated version is very, very, very close to the uh, general, general relativity answer. Cool. Uh, I get a bit of that. Okay, so talking about quantum entanglement, uh, what I know on the most basic level is that uh, when two particles are entangled with each other in space-time, the connection between those particles when separated even light years apart is such that if something happens to one of the particles, the other one reacts to it simultaneously. So yes. is it the theory that proves that light is not the fastest thing in the universe too? Uh, so the thing the thing with um, quantum mechanics, and more specifically quantum entanglement, um, is the fact that... Um, Information itself, like, you know, information between the particles is not shared simultaneously. Um, it's just an effect. Of, it's just a natural consequence of the conservation of momentum, the conservation of energy, and more specifically, the conservation of angular momentum. Um, so when one part, when a particle decays into two other particles, two other identical particles, um, those particles are what we call uh, are what we call entangled. Um, that basically means that in order to uh, conserve angular momentum and energy, um, if one particle, one of those uh, decayed particles, is rotating in one direction, then the other must be rotating in the other direction, such that the sum of the angular momentums actually still equals zero, um, or still equals um, what the original uh, angular momentum was before the decay. So. It's not like um, it's not like information is actually being transmitted faster than light, um, but it it does show that conservation of momentum um, and conservation of energy are still maintained even in these entangled scenarios. So, like when these things are separated from each other, you know, if they are not just close to each other, but they are separated light years apart. So, mm. so the information between them. Uh, it travels at really high speeds. I mean, I saw this in some video by Neil deGrasse Tyson in the video series mm. that he has named Cosmos. So he was talking about this. Uh, so, I mean, the particles, like, they would have the information transition between them uh, really quickly. And then he said the, the same line, you know, that uh, it, it is also the, the thing that still confuses scientists if 
uh, light is actually the fastest thing, not just matter or a form of energy, but the last fastest thing in the whole universe. So, yeah. so, so that's what. And so, what I'm asking, like over here, like concluding to that is, um, when these two particles have separated, light years apart, how, how, does yeah. that change anything, or does or how, does it have the same, similar effects when they're closer to each other? Yeah. So the thing is, is that um, the reason why I'm saying information is not being transmitted faster than light is because you can't actually inject any information into this entangled system. So Einstein's um, postulate that nothing can travel faster than light, like information, um, is still true. Um, it's just that um, where it's just that because um, quantum particles, like particles described under quantum mechanics, um, have random properties. Their properties um, exist in what we call a probability density function or a wave function, um, and we don't actually know what that what the value of these properties are until they are measured. Um, this randomness, uh, this randomness can't be replaced with some information that we want to send. For example, a text message or something. Um, because of that, uh, because of that, it's not like we can transmit information um, faster than light through this through these entangled systems. Um, it just means that the properties um, of the of the uh, entangled particles are connected. Um, are connected and even if they're light years apart just by measuring one you'll automatically know what the properties of the other particle are going to be based on conservation of angular momentum and conservation of energy uh, and all these other conservation laws and uh and that's pretty much and that's pretty much uh that's pretty much it with quantum entanglement many uh many media outlets when they present quantum mechanics they try to make this some elusive and uh, mysterious thing um but when you actually look into the math and you actually try to understand exactly what quantum mechanics is um it's not actually uh, it's not actually that far-fetched um there's actually a couple of good resources which you might want to um include somewhere maybe like in a in a in a in a link to some doc file um right but there's a couple of there's a couple of really good videos there's a video um which explains the 2022 nobel prize winners and um how they proved that um the universe isn't quote unquote locally real um and you can check that video out i i'm not sure who the creator is i'll let you know later um right. and then uh there's another video um, by a mathematician named Three Blue One Brown, uh, who's also a content creator and um, math a math educator, and he goes into uh, the basics of quantum mechanics and tries to highlight that um, quantum mechanics is really just an extension um, of of classical mechanics, where you have to deal with discrete packets um, of energy or particles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like you've been putting out the word information uh, a lot in the concepts. So, like, what do you really mean by information? Over here, information is something hard. It, 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 to me, I'm see. Here's the thing. I'm I'm a 16 year old student. Like, uh, I still have a lot to learn when it comes to um, physics. So, um, if if I give an answer to this question, take it with a grain of salt. It's it's not. It's just my opinion. It's there's probably a better definition of it online, um, but the idea with information is um, information that uh, information is something that um, is a set of properties essentially, and um, and uh, these sets and a set of properties can include the information about some particle. So maybe the spin or the mat uh, or, or sorry the position and momentum of a particle um that's information um that's just my opinion um but uh as i've been saying um it's not like you can actually manually add some set of properties and say i'm going to force these properties onto this particular particle and then its entangled pair will have to have the opposite properties in order to conserve ang angular momentum that's not possible when uh, we measure a particle, those that information is, or those properties are decided randomly, um, and we can't do anything to affect that, unfortunately. Okay. So no faster than light communication. Right. So uh, moving on. Uh, after all, when we have boiled it down to the speed of things, like what are neutrinos, and are they actually faster than light, or can they become? 
faster than light. Uh, again, according to Einstein's postulate, um, and um, and even by uh, Stephen Hawking, um, nothing can travel faster than light because then that would create time paradoxes and all of physics would go hay haywire. Um, and so from what we know so far, nothing, not even neutrinos can travel faster than light. Neutrinos are I incredibly elusive. They're hard to detect. Um, I agree with that. Um, but... Um, Neutrinos still can't travel faster than light. In fact, any massless particle, um, for example, light, will travel at the speed of light, um, or what we actually call the speed of causality. Anything that has mass, um, for example, electrons, can get really close to the speed of light, but they will never be able to get to the speed of light, um, like, you know, uh, 300,000 kilometers per second. Um, and right. they will definitely not be able to cross that because that would require infinite energy to do so. Right. So, uh, as you said, like, we don't have, uh, we have, have, we don't know the measure of the particles of photons, right? Mm. And, uh, like, the reason of that could be we don't know uh, if these photons are just particulate or wavy or are they both but although, although we have come to a conclusion that light is wave, wave a wave function and also a, also a particulate yep. right so so uh, is it because of the reason that light is so fast that we can't really catch a photon or whatever and uh, we can't measure its actual mass what it, what is inside it or how uh, how much weight or how much mass does it have inside it? Is it because of that that we don't know probably why? I mean, the is it the reason why we don't know uh, the mass of a photon? Um, so the mass of a, see the mass of a photon. Um, uh, see, photons are inherently massless. Um, uh, yes, if you trap photons in, um, in say, a box, and that box and the box itself has no mass, um, and you were to trap photons um, in that box, and then you were to, you know, push that box along, yes, that box would experience a lot of properties that are very similar to uh, the properties of an object with mass, like, you know, um, you know, you require, um, you know, some force to to accelerate it and stuff like that. Typical to what you would have if you were to have an object that has mass. Mm -hmm. The thing, um, the the thing with uh, light is that um, light is both a particle and a wave, as you said. Um, but it's not like you know, light is so fast that we can't actually like you know measure its mass or something. It's just that it's inherently massless. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much all that I have to say. Okay, no, no problem. Uh, moving on, uh, we have almost like come to the end of our show. Although it's not an hour long, we, I mean, I planned it to not be an hour long. I just wanted to make sure that everything was going right. That's why I asked you for just the sake of safety mm -hmm. that maybe you have you have an hour or so. Yeah. Although we can have a, b a bit of more talk on uh, some other stuff too related to this. I I'd be happy to do a follow-up, like, a f like you know, um, after all the uh, questions that you've outlined right. are done. I'm happy to, you know, answer follow-up questions that you might have. Right, true. Uh, I'll have some of you them. Uh, so what are magnetars, actually? Uh, so uh, magnetars are a type of pulsar. And mm -hmm. to really understand what magnetars are, it's important to understand what pulsars are because they're a type of pulsar. Pulsars are, um, they have fast rotating neutron stars. Um, and basically they have beams of electromagnetic radiation at their poles. And um, what happens with pulsars is because they spin and, uh, you know, their electromagnetic beams sweep the sky, uh, sometimes that electromagnetic beam gets beamed towards the earth. And um, we see that as what we call a pulse. And this pulse happens pretty periodically. Um, sometimes it happens once uh, once every couple of seconds, um, sometimes once a second, and sometimes even as fast as, you know, a thousand a second. Um, mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's really crazy what some of these pulsars can do. Right. Magnetars are a type of pulsar where they have extremely, extremely strong magnetic fields. Um, I'm not I'm not quite sure what the number like the official like number is, um, but it's 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 um, at least like you know thousands of times stronger than a typical pulsar's um, magnetic field. All right. 
Uh, I get that. That was a really good explanation. I understood that almost entirely. So, uh, so moving on. Uh, what is uh like what's the worst rumor you know about space that you've heard in your childhood uh i mean there's i mean there's quite a few uh there's right. quite a few uh i'll go through some of them uh so the the worst rumor that i've obviously heard is the uh the moon landings were a hoax they're not like <laughs> there, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of videos disproving the whole claim um but also the another really funny um hoax is the flat earth, uh, flat earth theory thing the stuff <laughs> um you know it's so bad like you know I, i'm having trouble even naming the thing um so many people have debunked it i mean what am i supposed to do uh just right. like if you're a flat earther what, listening to this podcast like you know what am i supposed to do i've went through the education system you might call me biased just just watch like listen to scientists and listen to astronomers um they've got everything um all the knowledge uh another another couple a couple of other rumors that i've heard about is you know area 51 obviously the <laughs> usa base <All> right <laughs> you know aliens uh, you know secret government programs yeah uh if if that stuff was happening somebody would have whistleblown it by now so i'm not going to say anything on that um you can believe whatever you want about that um mm -hmm. there's a couple of other things um and th those are like misinterpretations of um uh, quantum mechanics so many people think that like you know oh because you know quant uh, the with quantum mechanics um you know uh, actually observing a particle um a chain uh, defines its properties um and um if you were to do um, a double slit experiment but before um the light uh, the light particle went through e uh, any one of the two slits um you were to measure its properties um it would actually not form an interference pattern but if you were to not observe every anything you would actually um you would actually observe an interference pattern and people are like, and people are looking at this experiment from the 1920s and they're like ha huh, see observations uh, affect reality and then they go on some weird tangent to say well yeah if that's true if we can affect the properties of of particles that means we can that means we can create magical lives we can like you know just yeah. dream of things and right. we can like you know we can manifest them in reality and i'm like yeah sure you you can dream about things and you can you know create that mindset and work to the towards those goals that's a much you'll have a much better chance of achieving those dreams with that type of mindset um and uh, in some cases psychologically speaking it's partially true um but um if you were to look at it from quantum mechanics what we mean by observation especially on very small particles um is the fact that you actually have to interact with the particle um in some way even if you were using electrons um in the double slit experiment if you were not interacting with the particle or observing the particle um then it would form an interference pattern just like light but if you were to do the same thing um but you were interacting with the particle before it went through the slits then you would have no interference pattern observation um on such a small scale is not easy to do by just looking at a at an electron microscope or something you have to actively engage with the particle th by firing photons at it and stuff like that and that can affect some of its properties um so it, it's not a passive process and um because of that and also just because of the fact that um the properties are random and then are randomly decided upon observation um that you know all of this manifest your reality stuff is a bit is a bit is a bit uh it's a bit of a stretch in what is what i'll say cool got that yeah um uh, so talking about uh you know the flatter theory that uh, you discussed about so i've seen these people on the internet you know what they say uh, so uh, oh, so, so 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 I've heard I've heard that they said like uh, when I go up on a mountain I don't see the curvature of the earth then why isn't the earth flat and I mean mm. that's like one of the most dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean do you really I mean can't you expect yourself to have something <laughs> at least above a 40 60 kilometer height altitude come on you oh my gosh that. I yeah. mean I mean some of the flat earthers say like you know all the videos of like 
people sending random stuff into space. I mean, someone sent sent garlic bread into space. I don't know why, but they sent garlic bread into space, and they st- and they put a camera um, in the box, and like you know, they were showing like you know the Earth's curvature and stuff like that, and they're saying, oh, that's some lens effect. Oh, that that doesn't show that the Earth's flat. Well, fun fact: some of the biggest content creators on YouTube. And what I mean mm-hmm. by biggest, I mean they've got like 50 million subscribers now. Their names okay. are Dude Perfect. Uh, right. They went to space. They literally mm-hmm. went to space. Right. And like, <laughs> I've seen that with and you. It, yeah, and like you know, you can clearly see that the Earth's round. But um, there's also just a bunch more, uh, a bunch of logical explanations that do not require any science um, mm-hmm. to be able to show that one, the flat Earthers don't actually have a feasible model um to sort of say like you know hey the flat earth uh, our flat earth model explains everything that um we currently observe like you know solar eclipses lunar eclipses etc etc um but then two like the flat earth model is uh, model is just flat out absurd and just stupid and like one more question that i prefer preferably have for these like flat earther guys is that Okay, if even if the Earth is flat according to you, like you're t- walking on a single surface, then what's beneath it? Like, what do you think is yeah, beneath? Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, in many ancient cultures, um, you know, they would per- they would perceive some sort of like you know really strong, resilient animal underneath it. So, um, in some cultures, they show a turtle um, mm-hmm. underneath the Earth. Um, in the flat Earth model. It's it's kind of just like you know it's just gonna be some rock maybe a couple maybe some magma then some more rock and then that's kind of it um, mm-hmm. and what I actually kind of find funny um, mm-hmm. is that you know it, when you look at the f- like the flat Earth's view of the solar system so how each of the planets would look according to a flat Earther um, you know all the planets are s- like you know are spherical in shape even the sun and then the Earth is just the one thing that's flat. And so you're like, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, just use Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is the preferred explanation. I mean, you know, if all the other planets are going to be spherical in shape, why isn't the Earth? There must be some special explanation that you guys must have. But mm. they refuse to provide an explanation and instead resort to um, lying about basic year seven physics um, and then sort of just spitting uh, random Latin words at you. <laughs> uh- like even I would say even on the most basic like elementary school level I would say I mean uh, even if people want to have a bit of explanation on why the Earth is not flat I would rather say that have you seen a circle now could you just zoom in a bit a, a bit more a bit more and a bit more and do you see lines now do you see straight lines making up a whole circle that's yeah, what it is but- you know a circle is made out made out of single single straight lines. You know, multi, a num- number of straight lines combined together in a way to form a circle. That, and that's the, why it yeah. has infinite sides and all of that stuff. Right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, exactly. Like the same thing applies with, um, you know, uh, visualizing, you know, curvature um, of space time. Right. I mean, locally speaking on a very like, you know, small patch of space time, it's relatively flat. Um even though, like, you know, we know that space-time is curved because Einstein's theory of general relativity has been proven 20-odd times now, um, you know, locally speaking, it's pretty flat. Um, like, you know, if you were to go out into deep space where there are no planets and no sun, it would actually be completely flat. Um, but because of interstellar clouds and sun, uh, pl- uh, and dark matter and galaxies and whatnot, um, there are little bumps in space-time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think you make a really good point like you know with a sphere um since we're not able to see that far to us the planet looks locally flat i mean after about eight kilometers you can't really see much um and uh one thing that a lot of flat earthers do is they sort of say well you know let me just do some like basic math and uh just spoiler alert the math is completely wrong but they do it anyway um and they sort of say you know this is how much curvature i would would expect and this is the distance at which i should be i should not be able to see some you know 10 meter tall boat right and then they send out the boat and they're like oh wait look i can still see the boat wait that means the earth is flat no it doesn't mean that it probably it 
probably just means that you are observing the effects of um, the effects of light refraction in the atmosphere, and that that must be a cause. And you should actually just keep watching the boat, and as it slowly gets further and further away, it would go below the horizon. You've right. instantly proved that the Earth is round, but your mm -hmm. refusal and ignorance to even stay there for an extra five minutes has caused you to <laughs> believe that the Earth is flat. Like, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about that. Right. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, I don't know if we should keep the, you know, the episode's name as the Quantum Mania with Ruth Sacre. <laughs> now, because I think... Nah, we should it. just call it a rant on um, Flat Earth. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry. I, th I mean, I, I, after this, I'm thinking, like, should I bring a flat earther to the show? I mean, come on. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'd be happy to join and just sort of explain, you know, mm -hmm. sorry, but your your entire view, mo your entire model of this is completely false. I'm sorry. Right, like we could have a multiple people who uh, who don't believe in flat earth and a multiple people who believe exactly. in flat earth and have a debate, then that would be great. Yeah, that'd actually be really good. Um, in fact, other similar content creators on YouTube have already done similar stuff. Um, okay. uh, if you if you look at um, uh, Professor Dave explains, he actually went yeah. on a debate with a flat earther, um, yeah. and he sort of you know he sort of explains that like you know the Earth is round, and the guy eventually the guy whose name is Flat Earth Dave, funnily enough, um, oh, actually right. like you know bought into the idea that the Earth is round. But then asked questions that Professor, like you know, Professor Dave couldn't uh, couldn't quite understand, um, mm -hmm. and then he just reverted back to, "Oh, the Earth's flat because oh, I asked this one question and he wasn't able to understand it within two seconds. Therefore, he's an absolute liar and is spreading propaganda, <clears throat> and this is all a big conspiracy. And NASA is hiding something about UFOs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean." Okay, uh, so I mean, people are very impulsive in those cases, you know, because they know they can be proven wrong, but they don't want to be proven wrong, and hence they become really hostile. Also, yeah, you know, I I, I know you want to have to react as soon as possible, or else the other yeah. person who is smarter than me can do that. I mean, I know your podcast is mostly about astronomy, but I'm gonna bring some stuff around climate change here. Um, mm -hmm. Reason being that, like, you know, actually, we have had we... we have had a, a, a guest on us who talked about climate climate change and you know uh, other topographical stuff so it's not yeah. a, it's not a thing that we haven't discussed yet oh okay well uh, i actually maybe i uh, well um that's exactly why you should all listen to his spotify playlist like go watch it now like go listen to <laughs> it now and also while you're at, while you're at it follow his uh, spotify page like now do it now um to all the viewers um uh, sorry listeners um so uh the whole thing the reason why climate change, I'm going to be talking about climate change just very briefly is because of the fact that um, some of the stuff that you actually observe in space, for example, the reflection of Earth's, the Earth's atmosphere on the moon um, can actually tell you a lot of information about the atmospheric content um, of the Earth. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do, for example, examining exoplanets and stuff like that, um, that comes from our prior research on, you know, uh, understanding um, the infrared spectra of Earth's atmosphere and the absorption spectra of different um, different molecules. So um, the thing the thing that most like the mo the the worst rumor and the worst dumbest thing in all of science <laughs> and uh, like you know it's so dumb is people believe that climate change is just a giant hoax. And you know I mean I I'll get I'll give it to them like when we mean climate change we mean long-term changes in the climate and we have been seeing that for like the last four billion years we've been seeing that for quite a while right. um right. Uh, but what we mean by climate change in the context of the 21st century is we mean human-induced global warming human-induced right. climate change the problem and a lot of what these yeah i think sorry the problem is that, i think the problem is where people see a 30 40 year time frame instead of seeing a hundred or 200 or millennia worth of time frame i think that's exactly um, exactly. So a lot of what these um, a lot of what these uh, climate deniers say is that like, you know, oh, well, the climate has changed for the last like four billion years or at least the last 800,000 years. So, you know, natural climate variability is just a normal thing. So why are we getting all like, you know, shocked about when, um shocked about it now? Well, because of the fact that the rate of climate change right now because of humans is extraordinarily fast like extremely fast um mm -hmm. faster than probably any other point in history for at least the last two million years um which is a big problem um 
also just the fact that um uh, also just the fact that we were current we are, we used to be um i believe for the last couple hundred maybe thousand years um you can you can find graphs online of the past 800,000 years of um atmospheric temperature and stuff like that um uh, global average surface temperature um that we were actually in an inter we are actually currently in an interglacial period and that we were actually returning to uh, a glacial period um, but because we're releasing CO2 into the atmosphere and at such a fast rate, we are actually warming the planet and we would probably, we'll probably never experience another glacial period until, um, we reduce our, um, CO2 emissions. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the thing, the thing with climate denial is that there's like a bunch of experts, right? A bunch of so-called quote unquote experts. Uh, and these people have genuinely done like, you know, p um, PhDs in, um, in uh, in respected fields they all sort of say well yeah co2 is good for the good for the planet because plants need co2 mm -hmm. <coughs> well yeah that might be true that might be true i'm not denying that i mean greenhouses have got uh, really high co2 concentrations mm -hmm. i'm not denying that um but the fact that we're doing it on firstly the entire planet uh, is a big problem. Sorry, just give me a second. And secondly, um, an increase in CO2 in the atmosphere also has unwanted side effects. Um, for example, acidification of the oceans, the warming of the planet, uh, faster climate change than we, that we have ever, the fastest uh, rate of climate change that we have ever seen in history, uh, in, in um, recorded history, and um, also just a bunch of like, you know, increase in bushfires, increase in heat waves, increase in floods. I mean, we've never experienced, I've never experienced something this severe in Melbourne. Um, mm. Like, you know, in the past, like at least five years, six years, seven uh, years. <laughs> so like Melbourne is reacting a lot to these things. <laughs> Some yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I mean, Melbourne's got pretty trash weather. Like, you know, mm. for two hours, it's like sunny. And then the next two hours, it's pouring down rain. And then maybe for the next 30 minutes, it's just like thunderstorms. And it's back to sunny. Then it's absolutely windy. It's like four seasons all in one day. That's why, that's why we call it, that's why we call that Melbourne weather. Four mm -hmm. seasons in one day. That's Melbourneian weather. We can't do anything like, about my that. My place is like completely dormant, you know. I mean, it's so predictable if it's going to rain today or not. It's like that in my, at my place. I mean, if the day is sunny, <laughs> then it is in, it, it is sunny, and it's going to be sunny almost the entire day. And then when it's yeah, not, I mean, it's going to be cold or whatever, depending upon the season. And we're yeah. pretty predictable over here. So it's, I mean, I'm, yeah. I don't think I should be glad or what I, for that. I don't know, probably. I mean, yeah. uh, in India, from what I've seen, because I visit India, you know, once every two years, um, oh. so, stuff like that, um, mm -hmm. you know, India's weather is actually surprisingly predictable um, compared mm -hmm. to like Australia's weather. Because in India, when you know that a day is sunny, you know that like, you know, for the next three, four days, it's just going to be sunny. It's just going to be sunny. Nothing else, just sunny. Right. And then when you, when, when there's rain, you know that for the next three days, there's going to be rain and you can't do anything about that. Right. Um, uh, in Australia, because of, because of global warming, the increase um, the increased capacity of the atmosphere to hold water vapor, um, which is resulting in an increase in floods, is causing widespread floods across the world. You saw it in China. You saw it in India. You saw it in Pakistan, right? You're seeing mm -hmm. it in Australia right now. You're, you saw it in South Africa. You saw it, mm -hmm. you saw it in the USA. I mean, I have never seen this many floods happen all at once. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, mm -hmm. And people to say, you know, oh, well, we didn't have, we're not having as many deaths now as we used to um, because of floods and other natural disasters. Well, yeah, it's, it's called some, uh, you know what, it, you know what that's called? It's called an, it's called advancements in technology dingus. Um, basically, because of uh, advancements in technology, for example, medical technologies, rescue technologies, um, you know, because of uh, a, 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 an increase in like, you know, um, uh, you know, because of uh, the development in those technologies, um, you know, we've been able to save more lives. Um, mm -hmm. But how long is that actually going to last? Like, let's just be completely real. How long is that going to last? These events are going to become more frequent. Um, they're going to also become more severe. And because of that, like, you know, 
it's it's not like we can constantly adapt every like second or like in the future we're not going to be able to adapt every second or third day to another natural disaster it's just not possible so i mean climate denial is only slowing down progress and you know who who funds it the giant fossil fuel companies they fund they fund uh, they fund so called experts to sort of spread this misinformation and i'm sorry there's there's just no proof um that mm-hmm. climate change is not caused by humans right true true because i believe climate change is real myself so yeah. that aligns sorry i went on a bit of a rant there like i went on a bit of a uh, you know tangent but no problem it's it's an, right. it's an important tangent to go right. to right right cool uh so uh, i think i mean we plan to uh, have it below an hour and i think probably we have added about an hour for about an hour yeah so uh, i noticed cool. that we haven't um we haven't answered one of the dot points the second last dot point which is that? why do we have lesser ba- breakthroughs in science and physics that we used to have right. hundreds of years ago right. and this was actually one of the questions i was actually like really interested in answering um, cuz cool. i think it's a cool. good dot point cool no problem yeah uh, do you want me to talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can go. About um, so, I think the reason. So here's the thing. This is just again. This is my personal take. Um, as as we uh, like, you know, because of the development in science, the development in technologies, we are able to share more information nowadays. And because of that, we're actually producing a lot more papers um, than we used to in the past. The thing is, is that. um because so many papers are being produced um not many not that many papers are actually like you know being uh uh like you know being recognized for extraordinary work i mean back in the day in the 1900s even one paper was a lot more significant than one paper today one research paper today mm-hmm. um in 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 today's modern world we like scientists have to race to write as many research papers as possible to get like you know pay rises and stuff like that and i think that's a really dirty system um but back to the point um the reason why we haven't been experiencing um major advancements and i mean like you know major major advancements in um in science in the last uh you know in the 21st century um uh, i believe is because of the fact that we're currently stuck um and the reason why we're currently stuck um at least in theoretical physics um is because of the fact that you know you've got quantum mechanics you've got general relativity we have a general idea that we need to put them together in some way to create a theory of everything and while there are certain theories that are already out for example string theory loop quantum gravity etc um none of these theories actually come up with any concrete predictions to be able to sort of say ha it's because of that prediction that um you know this theory has to be true um in order for a theory to be proven true it needs to make a set of predictions which can which can then be uh shown uh that which can then be proven through experiments and data um but we're just not like there's just nothing we can do um about string theory and quantum gravity because of the fact that there's no um predictions that you can make and it's because of this you know this friction between quantum mechanics and general relativity um because they don't go well together that we're actually like that we're actually kind of stuck we don't know you know how to either get general relativity to fit into quantum mechanics um by what we call quantizing general relativity or how to um fix quantum mechanics to make it mold better into gen- into general relativity mm-hmm. um what we do know but what we do know right now is that it's more likely that we have to fix general relativity um and mold it into quantum mechanics instead of the other way around um because there are some there are still some cases where general relativity does break down for example at the start of the universe the big bang and also um in black holes so it's mm-hmm. in those two scenarios that um we know that general relativity doesn't work and we need to find a way to be able to fix that and um the way to fix that is to quantize general relativity in some way shape or form um and uh it's because of this slowdown in theoretical physics progress um that um experimental physics is also kind of slowed down um because because there are not like there's no new theories um or at least uh if there are theories they're they're extremely niche and um uh you know they're not like you know massive new theories that break previous theories um 
And so because of that, like, you know, we're currently resorting to, oh, we discovered a new pulsar. Oh, my gosh, we discovered a new fast radio burst. Um, experimental physics has sort of moved on from general relativity and quantum mechanics um, more towards other fields um, such as fast radio bursts, pulsars, magnetars, because there's a lot of development going around those theories compared to um, quantum mechanics and uh, general relativity. So I think that's why there's been a slowdown, but I could be completely wrong because um, again, I'm 16 years old. I've got a lot to learn and mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, right. I, yeah. Uh, although what I've seen so far is that, I mean, the most popular of the physicists you know, and scientists like Michio Kaku or, or, or probably, uh, you know, Roger Penrose or Neil deGrasse Tyson, most of these scientists, uh, I mean, they still, I mean, talk about things uh, related to the past, past, past research on quantum mechanics and physics that used to happen about hundreds of two, two hundreds of years ago, right? B but like most of these recognizable faces, they are talking about this. Uh, still, I don't see many people doing research on that stuff. Uh, I mean, mm. that's. I mean. Uh, I, I don't know what to, what to say about that, but it's kind of ironic to me. Mm. I mean, I can't really do anything about that. Science goes wherever it needs to go. Right. Um, and because of the fact, like, you know, as I mentioned, that uh, we currently live in a pretty dirty system where, like, you know, um, scientists are kind of being encouraged to write as many papers as possible. Scientists are naturally um, going towards um, areas of study in astronomy where there are a lot, where there is, is a lot more potential to be able to write research papers, um, and that unfortunately uh, that unfortunately means scientists are slowly um, moving away from quantum mechanics and general relativity and more towards um, more towards uh, experimental physics in fast radio bursts, gravitational waves, pulsars, and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, although we have come to an end of the episode, it was pretty long. I think it's over an hour now. I expect it to be. So, mm. cool. Um, hope you enjoyed did it, you everyone, listening everything? to this. Yep, I did. I was recording everything. Woof. So, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the sixth episode of the Wimper Podcast with Rudra Sakri, the Quantum Mania. Hope you enjoyed it, and do share it with your friends, whoever wants to connect with me or Rudra. Uh, we both are on LinkedIn, so you can talk to us about stuff and uh, other stuff that you would like to have us present here on our episode, on our show. So, yeah, cool. Thank you for listening to the sixth episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Also, follow him on Spotify. <laughs> right, follow me on Spotify and uh, follow... Uh, Rudra on LinkedIn. If you are on LinkedIn, do do go uh, on his LinkedIn profile and connect with him, talk to him, follow him, especially because he's posting out himself a lot of good stuff. He has achieved a lot of things in his school, in his academics, and I've seen that through and I've gone through his LinkedIn profile and I was very impressed. So that was great, you know. So cool. Thank you, everybody.